I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody. We're bringing you the Manchester's Red podcast today with Samuel Luckhurst and Stephen Railston. Just a, an editor's note, really. Samuel is travelling from Seville, back to Manchester and as such he's in an airport so we apologize if there's any cumbersome noise or any announcements or any people interrupting during the re- recording but we've tidied the audio up as best we could and without further ado here is Stephen and Samuel Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast my name is Stephen Realston and I'm your host today. We're recording on a Friday morning around half 11, just hours after Manchester United crashed out of the Europa League against Sevilla. Uh, the really, really disappointing 3-0 defeat in Spain. And I'm joined by my colleague Samuel Luckhurst, who was in the airport lounge. He was at the game last night. Samuel, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good journey here. Uh, pretty swift, pretty slick. I'm unlike United last night. <laughs> Nicely said. You'll be, you'll definitely be fine if you don't miss your playing. We're just talking about that, so let's uh, let's crack on with the analysis. Um, Samuel, we kind of expected United to to breeze through this tie. Really, the defeated Barcelona, defeated Real Betis, who were comfortably above Sevilla in the league. But, but that performance last night, it was just so so poor from the first whistle. They never looked at it, did they? Um, the goal in the seventh minute. We'll come on to that. But what was your first reaction, really, leaving the stadium? because we thought they were going to go far in this competition and it was just so well, wasn't it? it? It was, and it's not a surprise. That's that's the problem for United. Uh, unprompted afterwards, Ten Hag mentioned Brentford, Liverpool, Manchester City, probably their three worst performances of the season. That's without mentioning the Newcastle game, which was a bit of a horror show as well, even if the scoreline was, was quite modest. But last night was in... It deserved to be bracketed with with those those three away games because United's away form this season. A few weeks ago, I didn't think it would be that much of a concern. Then I saw the Newcastle game, and then I saw last night, and it's it's a major concern. And you only have to look at their record against top twelve teams in the Premier League. I think they've only taken eight points from the possible twenty seven against those teams, and they've still got to go to Tottenham and go to Brighton. But last night was just so listless, and they they have this knack of conceding early goals in a first half or a second half. It just knocks the stuffing out of them. Last night, the damage was greater than just going 1-0 down and, and 3-2 on aggregate. It, they were completely spooked by Sevilla. They were spooked by their pressing. They knew that after that, there was no way they were going to be able to play out from the back because Sevilla had all bases covered. But they were, they should have known that before the game. You, you look at the first goal, although Harry Maguire calls for it and... A, a good player would not only know what to do with the ball before he gets it, but he would know, of, of, he'd be aware of his surroundings. De Gea should not be passing him the ball there. And I think I, I'd, I'd almost pretty much written my piece uh, in the second half. And I looked up, expecting it to say like 85th minute on the screen and said 62nd minute. It just seemed that much of a fair company that United were not going to do anything in that game. They never looked like doing anything in the first half. They never looked like doing anything in the second half. And 
a friend messaged me, United season ticket holder, he messaged me during the game and he said, it's almost worth them not not having to come back here just so it doesn't pay rope the cracks because if there is a positive from last night, it highlighted how many players cannot be at that club next season. Um, some of them are just not cut out for it and they need to be cut loose. It was second best in every department, really, which was the, the most frustrating thing about it, I guess, from a, a supporter's perspective. Um, the jewels, the challenges, the second balls, everything was being lost, really, and it just seemed like Sevilla wanted it more. And as you said, Sammy, they seem to have this tendency away from home where they kind of come unstuck in these big games, big atmosphere, and they don't know how to cope with it. We'll get on to the De Gea-Maguire debate, which you've just touched upon. If you had to kind of give more blame from one or the other, who would you give that to? Would it be to here for you? Would it be Maguire? I know, I mean, you've already had that discussion yesterday, but I'll give you my opinion now to begin with. Obviously, both players are, are at fault. I think we, we all agree on that. And Maguire should not be asking for that ball. Um, and as you've said, a better player would have the awareness. He'd be able to turn out and he'd be able to play 100%. But for me, Dea has to take responsibility. Um, he's the only player on the pitch that can see everything unfolding. And yet, he still plays that pass. So, where do you win on uh, on that debate, Samuel? It's it's a valid point, and I'm I'm certainly not going to dispute that that section of the argument with you. And and De Gea, I think, was culpable in one way or another for all three goals. And as I said, we'll probably get onto him in, in greater depth. But Maguire asks for that ball. Uh, it's almost as if, in in some ways, it's it's admirable that he has the belief that he can manage that situation. But the he, he and uh, you know, most good players, when before the ball has come to them, they know what they want to do with it. He knew what he wanted to do with it. The problem was, so did Eric Lamella. And Maguire did not even sense that Lamella was there, that he didn't even feel him breathing down his neck. And a really good player, they, they mind their surroundings. They, they, you know, they'll, they'll do a little shimmy or a little dummy and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll deceive the opponent. Maguire is incapable of doing that. And, it's, it's, it is easy to make him the full guy because he's been involved in so many dreadful, disastrous defeats for United uh, throughout his time at the club. Uh, you can go back to the 6-1 against Tottenham two and a half years ago. There were plenty last season. But he's still not learned from that. And he's had his confidence not massively this season. And it was interesting, while he was on international duty, he said when he was asked if he felt underappreciated, he said, well, unappreciated at England. Okay, maybe he's not at Manchester United, but who's he referring to? Is he not appreciated by the manager? Is he not appreciated by the supporters? But what has he done to earn, you know, this this appreciation whilst capsing Manchester United during a four-year career at Manchester United? He had a good first season. He had a decent second season. It's been downhill from there. And... As I said, although I, I completely agree with you, De Gea's got to be, he's, he's got to be, you know, he's got to pull rank effectively. And I know Maguire's the captain, but he's not looking at how Maguire is Manchester United camps thinking, oh, I must give exactly. him the ball. Exactly. He's got to be braver yeah. and say, I'm not giving it to you because you're not good enough in those situations. The thing is, Sandro Martinez, fair enough. Even if it was Victor Lindelof, you can make the case to still pass the ball there. But Maguire is not up to it there. And it was, I suppose, the the quirk of it going into the game was that the last eleven games that started for United, they'd won them all, and we've we've spoken before about the mitigation of that, about the Championship club, the League One club, the bottom half clubs, the very average team in in La Liga as well. 
they were actually playing against the worst team in La Liga last night. But it's Sevilla, as Ten Hag said, they they wanted it more. There was more desire. There was more fight from them, and that just confirms that. Again, as I said earlier about cutting loose players, Charlotte Ferguson once said that United is the pass that waits for no one. There were some players that they've, they've had a line of passes waiting for, but they're just not up to it. And last night, again, reiterated that. thing is, as well, they had a lifeline. I mean, just before half-time, Sevilla scored, it was offside. You go into half-time, it's 1-0, 10 could you know, gets them in, has a talking. And then to come out of that second half, into, it exactly, and to concede immediately... That, that was really unforgivable but um, obviously Rashford and Shaw come on and those changes were almost made redundant at that point because the game's gone it's 2-0 all the dice yep. gone um, which was, was a shame really um, obviously De Gea very questionable for that goal as well Samuel um, and then for the third goal I mean he's coming out I, I don't know what's going through his mind with that kick the, the technique on it it almost looks like he's ever kicked the ball in his life I know it, yes. it, it was it was bizarre We've, we've talked about it at Lems on the pod, and we actually talked about it last week or earlier in the week about his contract. I tweeted and said it kind of feels like this game has the potential to be the end of the year at Man United. Do you think it's possible that that could really make Ten Hag's mind up now? Uh, obviously, they're in negotiations and they're in talks to extend his contract. Um, do you think it's possible that that game last night might think, do you know what? No, he's not the man to, to be the goalkeeper, the first choice to take his club forward. I think the majority know that he's not the long-term, yeah, long-term solution or option there. But it's a contract of convenience. United, in one summer, do not want to sign a striker, which is the priority. They don't want to sign a midfielder, which also uh, Ten Hag likes it on top of that. Sorry, they do want to sign one, I should say. They might need a centre-back as well, um, if Maguire and Lindelof go. And if you need a new goal knee on top of that, that's that's a new spine entirely. And it's just inconvenient for United. Uh, it's, it sounds daft given that you, know, there's, the, the, you look at other clubs and they would have got rid of um, they would have got rid of their, their players if they were. Say Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola left Joe Hart though, isn't it? When he first came in Man City and he looked at him and he thought, you know what, Hart's not going to be for the rebuild. He doesn't have the attributes or the qualities to play the way I want to play. And I kind of look at that right now at Ten Hag and De Gea and think, surely considered it's the same, but he was praising him, wasn't he, at the, the press conference the day before the game? Well, he called him multifunctional, <laughs> which none of us none of us believed. And it was the worst time impossible. Well, it was more dysfunctional than multifunctional. Yeah, you should you should absolutely write that. And as I said, all three goals preyed on his weaknesses. The first one, he can't play out to the back. His distribution isn't good enough. The second one, He's not commanding enough for crosses. I mean, he didn't need to come out of his area flat um, for the header. And I know the connection's not clean, but it's a savable, a savable header. The ball actually loops over to Hay and he just doesn't adjust his feet quickly enough to claw it away. And the third one, whenever he comes out of his area, he's he's a liability. And that's that's why he doesn't come out of his area very often at all um, I, I remember that was that was one of the questions uh, of, of him when we spoke to him in, in perfect and pre-season about coming out of the air and then there were a couple of occasions early on under Ten Hag where he did it and it was almost if I think he might have come out of his area as many times as last season the first few games under Ten Hag there's some kind of stat like that but although he's still a brilliant shot stopper he, he has stood still as a goalkeeper and you look at Allison and Edison, they eclipsed him some time ago, years ago. Thibaut Courtois is an elite match winner at Real Madrid. The two Milan clubs are in the Champions League semi-finals. They're, they're there with 
keepers who have been bought in the last two years and Mike Magnus and, and Andre Onana. So, and, and every time United negotiate a new contract with De Gea, his stock is lower than it was previously. In 2015, he was the most important player of the club. Nobody could dispute that at the time. He was two-time player of the year. Real Madrid when he was in. In 2019, his form had tailed off, but he banked enough credits for it to be seen as a bit of a coup, but he was sticking around four more years. Now, they are actively trying to give him a new contract so if he doesn't get a pay rise, because if they extend his current deal by a year, he's on a salary hike next season because they're almost certainly getting back in the Champions League. And when you're doing that, when you're when you're clearly aware that the asset is actually in some ways a weakling, then you've just got to make the ruthless decision to to cut him loose. But I suppose what I would say in United's defence is that there's not an outstanding goalkeeper out there who Everyone is saying he has to be the replacement of David De Gea. United saw how difficult it was the place in Beach to Michael. They didn't get that right uh, for six years until Edwin Van der Sar came in. And it's, it's it's a huge job to, to actually identify who's going to be their next long-term goalkeeper. What I would say that it doesn't reflect well on United is that they had a very easy succession plan there with a goalkeeper they blooded to the best I think Dick Anderson joined the academy in 2011, so 10 years. But they had a manager who just did not have the balls to make the decision. Who told Dean Henderson who was going to make? And now you've got Dean Henderson so bitter that he wanted to play against Manchester United this season. And you've got another goalkeeper who, on his, on his days, has really not got the skill set that's required of 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 a modern goalkeeper operating at that level. The goalkeeping situation's been a bit of a mess for a good few years now with the whole Henderson to here handling and that was Solskjaer's fault we've written at length about that. Um David Reyes in the end has obviously been quite heavily linked with the club, but for me he's not good enough to be a first choice goalkeeper at Manchester United. And uh this is performances recently have uh, backed that back that up for me. Samuel, your report was kind of angled um on five players that you think started and should not be out of the club. Uh, next season, Maguire, De Gea, Wan-Bissaka, Sancho and Martial. Martial came off injured again, didn't he, of course, inevitably, it seems. Um, out of those five players, do you think, would you be surprised to see more than one leave? Because when you look at that list, obviously Maguire's day seemed done, but the negotiation and the deal with De Gea, but beyond that, I can't simply take us for Martial. I think Sancho'll stay. I think Wan-Bissaka will probably stay as well. It's, it has got the makings so... of season long loans take their wages off the zones for the whole season uh, because that, that is a, a relatively sustainable way as, as mitigating the, the financial issues that Bob's now face but with Martial given his contracts and that he's got one year left and then there's the option of an additional year they, they've got to be as proactive as possible in time to get him off, off the books permanently this summer uh, Jane Sancho is is just hiding at the moment that he is an absolute shadow for an initiative and probing winger who was so in demand at Dortmund. I, I don't know what he's playing at sometimes. And going when, when the team dropped last sentence, Rashford on the bench and Sancho starting, you think, okay, the earliest point that Rashford will come on here will be at half time because Sancho may, might be unwarming. And unfortunately, the script was too predictable with Sancho. He played like someone who's on borrowed time. I think he ducked out of one challenge as well. Manchester United's just too big a club for him. 
there's no shame in him admitting that. Uh, there's no shame in Manchester United signing him. He was a player who had had the qualities that were what United needs at that time. And he was a very worthy signing, but it's not worked out. I mean, if United are to restore, truly restore standards, they need to get back to this uh, way of operating where, okay, if you don't perform in your first year, you've got you can bed in the second year. A bit like City have done with their players. How many Guardian signings have underwhelmed in the first season and been brilliant in the second season? Grealish, the most recent example. There's been Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, John Stones. Yep, the list goes on. And then if you don't hack it in the second season, if you don't cut it, then you cut loose. That's what United need to get back in the habit of doing. But then you look at Anthony Martial, who's been there for eight, eight seasons. This is eight season for it. He's had two truly good seasons. So a quarter of his time at Manchester United has been an individual success. I mean, how has that been tolerated? Because the club pandered to this player power culture. And after Pogba, Marshall was the one who was engulfed the most. Wow. And look how it turns out with Pogba, who was, you know, just such a such a toxic presence at times. He he undermined the manager uh, and, and publicly rebelled in his sacking on Twitter, Marshall's agent has undermined two two separate Manchester United managers as well. You can't allow that. You've got to have standards that go beyond the pitch. And it is a lot easier said than done because of the situation in United where you've got these players off a good wages on longish contracts and what takers what 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 else other club would go for those players. I think with Wanderson and Mike Maguire might be easier to ship than than the forwards because you can see, for example, can you see Maguire at West Ham? Could you see Wan-Bissaka at West Ham? Yes. There are certain Premier League clubs where United know they're going to make a loss on those players. They would have known when they signed Maguire. There would not have been any resale value because he was 26 at the time he signed. It was a record fee for the defender at £80 million. Pounds. He was on the six-year contract. So they knew when they signed him, they were never, there was never any plan to, to make, make anything back on him. Uh, with one Bissaka, they saw him as long-term. I mean, maybe maybe four years has been too long for him. But if given that Tim Hahn wants a right-back still, and a right-back is pretty low down the list of priorities for the ice in the summer, then they have to get one off the books. Dallow's out of contact next year, so you can't rule out the possibility of him going. But he is the Molten Elite right-back than one Bissaka there, even though Dallow's form has been pretty, pretty poor for the last four months. One percent again last night. Just there, there's no willingness to attack, and if you've, I mean, Tim Hard mentioned character three times in those match press conference, and I think that's what we underestimate going into these uh, these games. That the, the character of certain players, when you look at Martial, Sancho, Maguire, One Bissaka on that team sheet, none of them have the character to be a success as a Manchester United player. And that is why when it came to the summer and the signs they made, character was as as important as qualities. And that has to still be the case going forward. I think with Martial, I mean, I'd be surprised if anyone looks to take him on a permanent deal. Maybe another club with a loan, ironically, it was severe, wasn't it, last season? Con could need 90 minutes and Con scored 20 goals in the season. It's a tough sell. Yeah, you're not going to make an offer, a permanent offer for a player that, that can't complete nine minutes. I actually can't remember the last time. It's over two years, I think, isn't it, since he last played a full game, which is a professional football. Like, come on, that it's just disgraceful, really. And going back to Sancho, Samuel, I mean, 
he's become such an enigma. I think I'm starting to see supporters just really lose patience with him now. They've wanted them to succeed and they've tried to defend him, but he's just running out of excuses. My lunch piece of the day on Sancho was he's probably got the next six weeks to kind of save his United career up until the end of the season, but he's just simply not done enough, has he? I mean, in the absence of Rashford, he got offered starts on the left and he's, he's just not done enough. You've, you've talked about the character there, Samuel, of those players that was lacking. Do you think that is the reason then for these kind of jarring defeats that have, have happened quite frequently this season, if we're being honest? I think so. And there's there's also an element of last season, uh, United being unnerved by, by crowds returning, it felt like, and they've been a bit more uncomfortable, having been comfortable in... Um, Instead, it was when it was behind closed doors, when the games were behind closed doors, which is very strange for professional football. You know, if you want to, for most of your life, you're accustomed to playing in front of supporters and matchgoers. But there is there's still an element of that this season. And the toughest away games, they don't turn up. They didn't turn up against a City or Liverpool, or for a half they did against Liverpool, but they started getting a 9 to 7 0. Sevilla was a. Was, their biggest away game in Europe because it was the second leg and it was a quarter final. Look how badly that went. And there was some pressure on them going into the Newcastle game as well, where it was third versus fourth at the time, I think it was. And they they were absolutely bullied in that game. Uh, Brentford, there was big pressure on them as well because they'd lost the first game of the season at home to Brighton. So when they'll, they'd come up against a pretty good side, there's, there's the slightest bit of pressure. It seems they get hammered. And that doesn't bode well when they have still got two pretty big games away from home in the Premier League. The games, as I said, uh, Brighton, which I think is uh, on Thursday week, but of course, before that, it's, it's top one on Thursday. Okay, top them are in disarray, and you wouldn't bracket them with, with Newcastle, Liverpool, or, or City in terms of the difficulty level of going there. But they've still got quality to, to embarrass United. They, they hammered United to 6 1 Old Trafford a few years ago, even though it was. You know, can take you into the mitigation of behind closed doors games and there were some strange results but they've still got two on their day probably world-class players in, in Kane and Song who can, who can force complete un, untold damage and it was reassuring I thought for United and, and the supporters that Ten Hag wasn't looking for excuses last night he, he didn't say oh we've got both our centre-backs out our left-back was on the bench our tech scorer was on the bench uh, the, the de facto captain was suspended, so that's yeah, that's half the outfield team. But last night confirms that the, 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 some of the squad members, the backup players, they are just not up to it. And I just said that before last night. I think a lot of fans would have said that before last night. So in some ways, for United, it may be a blessing in disguise that this has happened. And they're not going to get comfortable. They're not going to uh, allow it to poke over the cracks. The, the evidence is is quite stark actually. I mean, when Marshall came off, Veghorst only came on after Anthony rolled in because Veghorst didn't realise that Marshall had gone off the pitch. Well, there probably have been a lot of fans who didn't realise that Marshall had actually stepped on the pitch. He was that anonymous. And when he was walking around the pitch, there were probably some severe fans thinking, oh, crikey, he, he played last season, didn't he? He scored one goal. Uh, I mean, you can see why they didn't make that deal permanent. And that's what I mean. United have to. United have got to get ruthless with these players who have had unseen chances at the club. Mourinho was was able to let Marshall go because Marshall wants to go. United sided with the player, wrote for the manager. Look what, look what happened that season. They sacked Mourinho. They finished sixth, 
And uh, then they deluded themselves for uh, the best part of three years under Oleg and the Solskjaer until they clung to the depths of five mil fraction uh, against Liverpool. Pep Guardiola saying it was okay to only win two near that old Trafford and was getting hammered four nil up, sorry, four one at Watford. We'll definitely remember Marshall because they actually booed him last season. They whistled them, they whistled their own player, and that says it all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Obviously, Brighton on Sunday, Samuel, FA Cup semi-final just a few days after. <laughs> Hardly the ideal preparation going into that game. The bookmakers have actually made Brighton favourites for the match, which probably isn't a surprise considering the, the team use, I, I think. What, what's your expectations for that? Because Brighton are a top team, the seventh in the league. They've done a great job. Um, they beat United 2-1 Old Trafford early in the season, obviously on the opening day. So it's, it's going to be far from straightforward, isn't it, at Wembley? You could argue Brighton are better than two of the teams who've reached the Champions League semi-finals and the Milan clubs, given their how the quality has subsided in, in Serie A. You, 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 you watch the way Brighton operate. Even when they lose, they seem to be pretty unlucky. They, they have a lot about them. That I've, I've never I'm struggling to recall a Brighton game this season where they've lost and the manager's torn them to shreds or accused them of lacking character or lacking desire, which has been the case with United. I mean, a few colleagues went down to the mid zone last night. Of course, most of the night players disappointed them, but so they left early to get up on a file ten hard. And then we were informed that oh, Luke Shaw was was where where are you? Luke Shaw was going to turn it. And we were thinking, you know, in some ways, it's just as well that he didn't talk to us because, as he said after Newcastle, he keeps on saying was doing this uh, all the time, and it's you know he. I think he's getting tired of it. I think United fans getting tired of it as well. So. Uh, they, the fans haven't been subjective to those quotes in the end because the, the chat never took place but I can understand why Brighton would be favourites for Sunday because there are significant issues for United to contend with uh, Ten Hag's holding his press conference at the uh, remarkably newsworthy unnewsworthy time of 5pm on a Friday today and you're not sure if a sure will be fit given that he, he, he suffered a knock and of course Maguire is suspended so it would be interesting to see what he does and is his marshal going to be fit for it, even if he is, would you play him? Uh, I think Ten Hag might have to get quite creative. Uh, if, say, Marshall's out, you could argue play Rashford up front and bring Fernandes back into the team that play him on the wing because James Sancho can't play. He doesn't deserve to play. Uh, you could argue that Marshall doesn't deserve to play either. So uh, there are a lot of things where I, I think Ten Hag's team for that game it, it's pro- it probably is starting to look different now from what he was from what he had in mind before the game last night because although United have had form for responding well to their worst defeats last season uh, this season sorry they th- th- this the significance on this one it's it's not quite the level of Liverpool in August but there's there's a danger the season could peter out now which would be a pity because 
they should still be remembered as a successful season and a progressive one, but there is they still have this propensity for serving up results and performances that are more in keeping with last season. Yeah, Brighton will be smelling blood, I think. But as you said, it is a good point. This team have has got form for for bouncing back, obviously a few harrowing defeats this season, but they tend to respond under Ten Hag, uh, which has been encouraging, obviously, and they really need to do that on Sunday. They need to stand up and be counted and, and really deliver because that was a really, really disappointing performance. And as you've said, the season is now in danger of kind of peeking it out and it, they won the Carabao Cup. It's, there's been great progress and that'll be a great shame. Samuel, I'll let you go because I know you're rushing for the plane. So safe travels back. There's a podcast live and then the background here, if the viewers can see over my right, uh, left shoulder. So <laughs> Laurie Whitwell's uh, making a cameo. You've got celebrities on the plane. Passport control. <laughs> <laughs> right, safe flight back, Samuel. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you and thanks to listeners. Take care now. Bye now. <laughs>